Hey everyone, this is Saksham Endirata, founder of Lights Out Studio and partner at Lights Out Venture. Well, I've been onto something incredibly exciting for the past few months. I have met some of the most celebrated entrepreneurs in the country. This actually started with me identifying a gap in the Indian startup ecosystem. You see, even though startups dominated the past decade in our country, we still kept looking back at what Silicon Valley breeds in its culture. I thought it was time to change this. So here I am with an all new limited edition series where I talk to founders of some of the fastest growing startups in the country. And we ditch the traditional podcasting format that you've known. So sit back, sip that drink as I bring to you In The House. You know, there was so much information written about him on the internet that before we got into a conversation, I was extremely overwhelmed. And this usually happens when, when someone's intellectual largesse is just like way out of my proportion. But I think everything that unfolded in this conversation was about mindset and values. His journey from McKinsey to becoming uh, a co-founder, investor, and then finally a founder at Mensa, it's surreal. Every single bit of this is worth taking notes from. So here I am once again in the house with Anand Narayanan, founder of Mensa. You're gonna love it. Check it out. You've been an entrepreneur in various senses for the past many years. Right. Right. After McKinsey, I think the the mindset kicked in. Yep. Um, what does that mean to you? What is that sense of entrepreneurship for you? Uh, so I think entrepreneurship is creation. I think when you're creating something new, uh, then for me, that's independent of ownership, right? I think yeah. that's an entrepreneur mindset. Yeah. So incidentally, I think one of my most entrepreneurial stints was actually McKinsey, where I actually helped start up something in China, where right. I'd never been. I moved to China without ever having been to China right. in 2000, when I think hardly anybody was there to start the sourcing practice for McKinsey. I think that's entrepreneurial. Right. Right. So I think the ability and, and in Mintra, by the way, I clearly wasn't the founder. Yeah. But I felt like one because yeah. of the way Sachin, I, I think the way Sachin, Bini and Mukesh, I think positioned it as well, really helped and right. the board. But I always thought of creating. Right. I think so entrepreneurship for me is creation and balancing out risk and reward. Right. And I think that balance evolves over time. I think, and you know, successful entrepreneurs are able to balance it over multiple years. Right. Sometimes it goes out of balance, which is when there's more risk versus right. reward, right? So, but I think entrepreneurship for me fundamentally is about creating, creating right. something new, whether it's an idea, whether it's a business, whether it's a product and managing some form of risk and reward while doing so. Do you think the, the appetite of risk changes? And if it does, does it change with time experience? Or yep. Does it change with scale? I think it's a, it's, it's interesting. I think it's a great question. I think the answer is yes. I think it depends on life stage, for sure. Correct. Right? Yeah. I started being a true entrepreneur in the sense of starting my own business much, much later in life, in my 40s. Right? And I think most people would say that's much higher risk, much later in life. Right. But actually, it's very different, right? Because, you know, for me, the way you should think about it is, can you feed yourself and your children? Right. And, and put them through education. And I think then the rest of it is you know you create you have some level of risk and you sort of want you you do whatever you want to do so yeah. i think risk earlier on right um so i think early 20s very easy because you have a long period of time to recover you're getting into very interesting work. 
part right. of it but yeah sure go on right go on. so i think early 20s very yeah. easy right yeah. i think 20 mid 20s to 40s hmm. difficult because i feel like that's your earning period right and responsibilities then increase responsibilities increase yeah. you get a family you know it starts yeah. to actually life starts to change and i think by the way later on it's much easier because i mean at some level as long as you don't have ego right and you're not afraid sure. to fail sure then i think the risks are dramatically lower right it doesn't change anything for right you. so uh, no i think uh, that's a classic uh, chicken and egg sort of a equation where you could take higher risk uh and and this is what i want to dabble in with you specifically yeah the experience in the beginning is really low yeah right you can the ability to take risk is far higher yeah do you think the ability to take risk combats the inexperience with much more uh opportunity creation and experience creation that you are doing i think doing? it depends on the nature of the problem you're trying to solve mm. um is my sense so i think one thing we haven't spoken about is fundamentally why do you take risk right right nobody just wants to take more risk right you take more risk because you're passionate about something you believe in the idea right. when others don't see it right i think a lot of this is around maybe seeing around the corners you don't see perfectly but you have a view of yeah. what it could be so i think you have to be passionate about it the reason i'm coming to sort of uh, later in life versus earlier is for example what we're trying to do at mensa it's very hard to do if this is your first entrepreneurial journey i'm not saying it's impossible no, but it's hard right, to do right you're right right because yeah. you have to deal with founders who have built businesses and you have to sort of figure out what will it take for them to partner with someone like mensa which is a very different skill you need to have financial stability 100% because you need to be able to sort of think about debt equity financial engineering risk and then you need to have operating experience because either you've run an e-commerce business before you or you haven't right and you know it's hard to sort of say i will add value to a d2c brand yeah. without having scaled a d2c brand 100%. before right so there by the way in my in this kind of business i actually think experience matters more than risk taking so you know here if you balance the two out if there're two sides of the you know i would say the experience matters more than it actually reduces the risk right but if you're starting something brand new i mean if it's facebook new that you're starting age and, right yeah. i mean you know there you don't need the experience because yeah. you're creating something brand new yeah right so i think it depends on the problem and the passion that you have for the problem right and some problems require more experience than others and as long as you're cognizant and you can understand that i think uh, that's right i think uh, just to that point right a lot of entrepreneurs or the kind of backing that they get from investors i feel is a lot based on a fear of missing out yeah just because someone else has started i'm going to enter this game or right. someone else is investor i'm going to i'm going to back this venture and as much as there you know most sectors end up having a positive sum game and you to so, increase the largest of it uh you're right uh, there is a certain balance between what is the reward you're chasing what is the passion what's the objective the why right. um was that something that you had to combat when you were kickstarting this venture mensa so no so uh, not really i think the um, the way i thought about mensa was actually quite simple i actually hadn't heard of aggregation when i started mensa so right. the way i thought about it is india fundamentally lacks a lot of brands Yeah. The number of 100 million dollar brands, right, in India across fashion, beauty and home is sub 30. Yeah. In a country with 1.3 billion yeah. people. I felt like you could do something. And I think, you know, I grew up in Chennai. Yeah. Um in Madras and you know, you have huge export houses. Yeah. that do lots of this but they don't build their own brand. Yeah. So it felt like there was a vacuum in the market in terms of how brands could be built. I think that was one sort of insight, yeah. right? I think the second insight for me was it takes very different skills. to start a brand and scale a brand i think most people forget this i think it 
takes two people, a laptop and some money to start a you brand online today, yeah. right? Yeah, you can right. start to get sales right away. Yeah. But you know, to go from 20 to 200 crores or 200 to yeah. 2000 crores yeah. is a very, very different ballgame, right? Yeah. And I felt like there were not enough people in India who had done that and understood the change of what it takes to build that, especially digital first, hmm. right? right? And so putting those two together, it felt like an interesting opportunity because you build something, you know, not many, there was a need for it in the market. Yeah. Not many people knew how to do it. Yeah. And it felt like a large enough opportunity. So I said, why not try that, right? I think that was sort of the thesis behind it, right? I actually didn't think as much this time about, by the way, I fundamentally don't think valuations matter. I think value creation matters. Right. I think ownership of a business matters, but I right. think valuations are just an outcome, right? And the only time valuations truly matter at some level. Yeah, I mean, you can't be looking at valuations and just like uh, looking it's, at this is what I want to reach in my next it's round. Like I mean, Im, it's like impossible, right? Correct. You focus on the inputs, right? Yeah. On building a great business. Yeah, because otherwise you're not building something valuable. You're not creating a purpose-driven right. business. So, That's right. Uh, did you ever feel or do you think that there is a need to balance out uh, co-foundership with, with someone else because you're a solo, solo founder? Yeah, so uh, I think it depends again on what you're trying to build. Uh, we have a fundamental, we have a fabulous founding team. Yeah. There are seven, eight folks who are very core to Mensa. Yeah. There are folks that I've worked with before. Yeah. Whether it's McKinsey or Mintra or Medlife who right. come and joined. Right. right? Um, but I'm the only founder. And I yes. thought the reason, by the way, for me at least is, I think for co-founders to work, you need years and years and years of chemistry. Right. Right. Certain and, harmony that needs to be and there. Because, you know, yeah. fundamentally then you make all decisions together. Right. And there is strength in that. But I felt like having a founding team with a sole founder was a better construct for me personally, right? It doesn't mean, by the way, the founding team, the founding team is, I would say, as passionate or more passionate than I am about Mensa, right? So I don't think it has anything to do with passion or, or ownership, but it has something to do with who makes the final call, right? Yeah. And I think it's sometimes easier, right? Right. To have, uh, unless you really fundamentally know somebody and it's truly complementary, right? Uh, I think co-foundership is hard. I mean, I would I would just look at it as, uh, and, I, and I would place myself as a rel relatively new age, much less experienced entrepreneur to what you've been, right? And I think there'll be a bit of a juxtapose here. So, uh, so I think having a co-founder just eases uh, a lot of things out for you in terms of shared responsibility and largely the, the mental well-being of how founders need to be. Right. Uh, I think it's also just stage in life, right? I mean, I perhaps. think for me, uh, you know, the question was whether one co-founder or founding team was the right answer. Right? If you had to bet money on a startup, would yeah. this be a criteria at all? I don't think so. I think yeah. the way I would think about it, uh, uh, if I bet money on a startup, I think the size of the market and the quality of the founding team would be the two things that I would look for. By the way, I think if there are co-founders, I would worry about their chemistry when right. I put money in. You'd be cautious because of it. You'd be cautious about it because in reality, yeah. you don't know when disagreements happen until yeah. you go into a down cycle. Yeah, true. Right? 100%, um, yeah. Been through that, yeah. And, and you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I've been through it too, right? Yeah. And I've sort of, you know, yeah. in Medlife, by the way, I joined as a co-founder. Yeah. Um, I put money in and joined as a co-founder and uh, Prashant and Tushar who were the original founders and I actually spent a lot of time together to make sure that we actually knew what to do when times got difficult. And that was really helpful because times did get difficult. Right. I mean, we came out well, but I yeah. think it did get difficult. Yeah, what, what, what the world sees is, is the acquisition. That's right. But what you don't see yeah. is the process of getting there. And that's right. non-trivial, right? If you don't have the same set of values, if you're not able to agree on the difficult things, then actually, you know, it teaches you, you so much and yeah. uh, you come out of it uh, so much more learned in, in a way. Yeah, uh, at least you have scars. 
yeah he has cars yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah but then yeah th- those are battle scars right i mean right. so uh, it's always great so uh, what is your role as a founder within mensa Bec- and i and i ask this with caution because there is so much right. that you could be doing yeah and there is so much that you could be delegating yeah right so so what what, what does that look like um i think it's a great i don't have a pat answer to it but i'll tell you i think there are maybe three parts to my role right um and it keeps changing but there sure. are three parts the first is i think just vision and inspiration right i think believing in something right and fundamentally believing you have to believe it right you can't fake it. so i believe we can make household brands right 10 large household brands in 5 years right which are global so you have to believe it and you have to be able to communicate it and the communication part's important because you it has to be translated into something that people actually get excited by it needs to be palpable at all levels i feel all levels right you have right. to be able to go to a warehouse yeah and somebody has to get excited there you to be go, you can go to the tech team you can go to the design team yeah. and they all need to get excited so that's one part of it yeah uh, i think the second part of it is doing something doing all the things that nobody else wants to do right i mean i spend a lot of time trying to think through what the office design needs to be no nobody will do it right um the reason i do it is because i feel like it creates energy in the office so i i yeah. basically it's a signal it's, it's a, a signal, signal. for so you culture do, every day so you do a bunch of things around what needs to happen um you know whatever nobody else wants to do it can be office design it can be around you know special projects it can be whatever right i think there's a bunch of stuff that's there right i think so vision and and getting people inspired i think doing a bunch of things that nobody else will do to make sure that the ship is sort of sailing along right. the second bucket of things that you do i think the third is people and money right right and i think and you uh, place that third huh? i'll place a third right right uh, and the reason i say that by the way is i i don't know whether i place a third i think all three yeah. are important yeah uh people for me is uh, figuring out what is the culture that you want to build i think one of the most the coolest things about being a founder is you can choose the culture yeah and you can choose the people yeah true and therefore spending enough and more time on yeah. who you want to work with and what the culture is going to be is i think very exciting right i think the money part is important because you have to see around the corners right right how much money do you need what is what do you need in terms of capital how is that capital going to come how do you sort of do it in a thoughtful manner so that you don't keep diluting all of that i think is things that you don't worry about and governance so i think there's a myriad of things right i mean i think there's but i think vision and inspiration would be right. clearly number one i think there is a set of things nobody else will do right and i think people and funding would be the third right i would right. say that those are the things that at least i believe eventually lead to making a great institution right because in order to build an institution you have to last for a long time in order to last for a long time the key is not to die Right? right so longevity in startups makes a big difference which right. is why i think all these three are important right what are i mean within this right if you were to pick a few mindsets uh that you emulate out of large traditional businesses yep. it could be and, I, and and you and you take the example of png right right or say you work with mckinsey yep large traditional uh, much much 100 year vision right outlooks uh are there some po- inspirations that you take from absolutely. them absolutely uh, by the way i think mckinsey as a foundation yeah is outstanding because it, right. it teaches you problem solving it teaches you on how to understand new businesses and i think this i think the institution selects among the best people and grooms them right i mean you right. take you know barely people out of college and convert them over a seven year period into a partner yeah. right of the firm so it's it's outstanding and i think so i take a lot of inspiration so um one is how do you build sustainable businesses 
right? What do you um, mean by sustainable? You mean a business needs to be without extra funding, be able yeah. to support itself. Yeah. So if which is very contrary out, to how how businesses are built today. I think so, and I think by the way, there is a cycle and there is a pendulum. I think the pendulum is going to swing. Yeah. Right. I think burn and grow. Um, you know, and I've seen it, right? I mean, you know, look in Mintra, you know, we were almost EBITDA positive at one point of time, right? And you can build high-scale businesses which become profitable over time. Right. Um, I think there was an era of just let's get to scale and then we'll figure out the business model. I think that's changed fundamentally, and I, well, I don't know if it's changed fundamentally. It's changed fundamentally for me, right? So I, as I can only talk about Mensa and what we're trying to do. And my sense, by the way, is we want to build a business that's sustainable and will last 50, 100 years. Right. And for that, I want no mortality risk. How do I avoid mortality risk? I want to build a sustainable business. So I think that's one mindset that. But I think you're is aware of the fact that this can't be done without a without a heavy pool of capital to be injected at the beginning. I don't I, at the beginning, but right. I don't think. By the way, so the way I think about it is so sustainable can happen. Yeah, and, and yeah. by the way, my sense is I think capital can drive growth. Sure. But steady state should make itself sustainable. Correct. Right. So I think this is this is sort of one one right. one thing. I think the second, I think from a traditional at least the McKinsey learning is hire outstanding people and develop right. them. Right. I mean, you know, one of the values we have at Mensa is caring meritocracy, which may seem a contradiction in terms. I think meritocracy matters because we're a sports team. Everybody needs to perform. Excellence matters. But how you deal with performance can be done in a caring way. Right. And therefore, this becomes a value. And so hiring great people. And caring about the development right. uh, actually matters, and it, it's a it, you know people talk about compound compounding effect yeah. as far as money is concerned, right? Yeah. I think the thing that compounds the most is talent and people, yeah, and right? yeah. um, over time. And so I think these are two things, at least from a mindset standpoint. One sustainable business, yeah, right. So do you last long? Because if you last long, you'll build a great institution. Yeah. And second is having terrific people um, and a culture that sort of helps grow people, right? right? And I think that's. So I mean I'm I just fail to understand this right why why are businesses being pushed today to uh, to become unsustainable at this at the at the cost of growth yeah so I, you know obviously by the way they're very smart people leading lots of businesses so I don't think people sort of do things just for growth right so I would say there are two fundamental kinds of businesses there are businesses with network effects and there are businesses where you can build standalone large institutions right. Uh, network effect is the number one and the number two player attract almost all of the users right. and all of the capital and therefore all of the talent, right? Um, marketplaces are an example, but in India, by the way, even that's not been true. Yeah, right? that's I mean, true. you have Amazon, you have Flipkart, you have yeah, you have a ton you have of AGO, them, yeah. you have all of them, right? But I think in network businesses, getting to scale is important. Therefore, speed at which you get to the minimum viable critical scale is important. Now, what that is, you can debate, but there is, in a business like Mensa's, for example. I think there can be multiple large players. I don't think there's a network effect. I mean, there's a network effect maybe with talent and capital, but I don't think there's a network effect with users, right? Yeah. And therefore, you know, you can grow more sustainably. You yeah, don't have I mean, to look at look at the look at the. I mean, very traditionally, look at the addressable market that exists yeah, in I mean, India. Yeah, it's 180 million dollars. And you're in three sectors. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's right. There are a ton of them that that's that right. are still there, which are untapped. That's right. Uh, and uh, and and it's. I mean, India is not the affluent society. It is. It's a mass mass premium segment, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah there is there's so much scope. So uh, I mean, you're right, right? When you say the pendulum is going to shift, uh, I think the whole concept of or the whole term that's been introduced around the funding winter and so on. I think the only thing that's going that it's going to do is just correct uh, the yeah. businesses that are running on a certain unsustainable 
moat yeah. and uh, they're going to they're going to just like see i think there's always lots of capital available there is i think there you know, the question is, no is where does the capital go right yeah. Uh, I, even in network businesses, what matters is unit economics, which is at a transaction level, can you make right. money? Right. If you can, then your product market fit, right? Because you can invest a lot in R&D, you can invest a lot in tech, they're all future right. investments, right? Right. So I think that's that's a little bit of just the way I would think about it, right? Unit economics matter in network businesses, right. in other businesses, build it sustainably. Right. I mean, the race is only with yourself, right? I mean, nobody else cares. Right. How do you know you've hit or this is a great product market fit business? In consumer tech. In consumer tech. Uh, I think in consumer tech, it's actually relatively easy to sort of think through whether you yeah. got it or not. The first is actually just consumer love. It seems very easy uh, and obvious. So you can, you can always measure you it. You can measure it. Yeah. I think you can measure repeat rates. You can look through cohorts. Yeah. You can look at reviews and ratings. You can look at usage, right? There are multiple quantitative indicators of consumer love. I think if you don't have consumer love, it's very hard to build a consumer tech company True. that works, right? True. And I think consumer love is fickle. Right. So I think just because you have... 12 months of cohorts that do well doesn't right. mean the next 12 months will do well. So I think, yeah. you know, over time, are you maintaining consumer love is one important thing on product market right. fit, right? I think the other on product market fit is, is it sustainable? Again, I go back a little bit yeah. to the sustainability piece. And, and sustainability for me is, you know, are you able to grow the business at some reasonable number and still make money at the unit transaction? So you should, should it be relative to the market or should it be relative to your past growth? I think it should be, um, it's a good question. I think it should be relative to market. The reason is, by the way, market at some level, and I don't mean only the online market. So let's say, by the way, you know, inflation adjusted nominal GDP is 10%, right. 12%, right? right? You should be able to grow two, three X with that. Right. So right? the challenge with that is yeah. the metric that are sort of defined within the market are not standardized because sure. because everyone has the has their own way of calculation. It's it, you either get an intelligence firm or a fund or a research firm to govern certain metrics. And if that is what you're chasing, um, uh, it, would it even stand true for your specific business, which is very culturally purpose-driven right. machinery? Right. No. The only reason, by the way, I would say that it matters at least to some extent is. Um, Actually, I, I, you know, one is if you're not growing faster than the market, right? Do you really have product market fit? Mm. Because, you know, unless you're defining a brand new product, I mean, if you're creating Facebook, great, you don't need to worry about the market, right? Or or Insta or whatever it is, right? right. Or WhatsApp. But if you are, by the way, yeah. in building beauty brands or fashion right. brands, there is a market for it, right? Right. I mean, are you growing faster than the market? You're not bringing something brand new to the market. I right? mean, I would I would just argue on that and say, as long as you are looking at growth independently, you're a bit positive. You're increasing your your yes. your TAM because you could be a niche player within yes. the large larger area of things, yes. and you could still be lower than the best or the most no, fierce I, competitor. I, no, no, I fully agree. I think, by the way, it's market growth rate relative to what is applicable to you. To you. Correct. Right? Got it. And, and what I mean by that is, for example, if you're a niche, very profitable player, you don't need to grow faster than the overall market. You need to grow faster than who are the four or five people who are doing the same thing right. that you're doing. Understood. So, absolutely. The second thing I would say is it depends a little bit on what you've told investors and whether you've taken external capital. I think setting the right expectations with investors as you take the money is really important. And right. most people forget that, right? Right. I think happiness, by the way, is at some level exceeding expectations, right? So yeah. what the expectations are that you set with them is yeah. important. Yeah. If you set a 100% year-on-year growth expectation and then you're at 50%, everybody's unhappy. But if you basically think the market's growing at 20 and you're doing 50, everybody's very happy. So yeah. I think setting the right expectations with your investors is also quite important if you take external capital. Right. If you don't, it doesn't really matter. You're 
you're you're absolutely yeah. right. Um, and uh, so in the in the entire spectrum of things, uh, do you think now that there is so much evolution and pace that's come in consumer tech, there needs to be a certain uh, guiding principle, uh, common metrics, body, something that sort of also helps these businesses uh, define how fast or how well to grow? Because because in the US, a lot of these exist. The context. Right. Right. Context setting exists, and I think, and the yeah. reason I ask you is because you've seen both sides. Yeah, no, I would say yeah, hard, hard to come up with a benchmark. Um, I'm thinking, so I think first is you need to be double-digit unit economics positive, right? And what I mean by that is, if you basically say you have well, gross that's a margins, tough one, yeah. right? You yeah. have. I'm not talking about overall EBITDA. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. Double-digit unit economics, right? Yeah. And the reason for double-digit unit economics is usually growth accelerates, and so it starts right. to come down. So you need to, at all points of time, be double-digit unit. And it sort of positive. adjusts with the market sentiment. Yeah. The market sentiment. But I think that's one important metric in my mind, right? Yeah. And I think that's a hard one to get to. It's but a hard I think one to it's, get to. Uh, but it's important, right? Yeah. Uh, if you don't have that, by the way, you're never going to be self-sustained, right. ever. Right? So I think double-digit positive unit economics, including your customer acquisition costs, is one, one metric that I would sort of very, very much use. I think the second is, look, if you're a cash burn business, yeah. Right, and hopefully, and you, if you're aware of it, and if you're aware of it, yeah. I would say, at all points of time, having a two-year runway matters. Wow, that's 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 massive again, right? Because uh, yeah, uh, because it depends on a lot of factors. But yeah, I mean, it helps because then you sail through the tougher times. Well, and also you're making long-term decisions. You're making long-term. If you are, by the way, always focused to the next round, it's very hard to build anything long-term, right? And by in, even in the startup world. Two years is a very long time. I mean, in the traditional is that, world, a, is that an economy? Uh, I mean, between the U.S. and the Indian economy, right? Within startups or within any particular sector, uh, this outlook could be far higher in the U.S. I think so because I think the natural rates of growth are also very different, right? right. India, by the way, over the next ten years, e-commerce is at what, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen percent, ten percent penetration, like you know, in that order of magnitude. I think. The U.S. is at what seventeen? Yeah. China is at twenty plus. Yeah. So I think there's a large ten-year room to grow. So I think you have slightly better metrics, uh, right? In terms of how you think about it versus the U.S. Yeah. You, in some way, what you're doing is investing in businesses. The model's very different. Right? Sure. Uh, do you think that there is there is a certain sense of uh, holding back on capital or decisions based on just uh, the rollover of uh, how the economy is slowing down in the US? Oh, always, right? Um, I think it's a normal logical reaction when there's uncertainty. Do you feel that? I, in, not in my business. Right. And the reason I don't feel it is we, by the way, don't invest. Right. I think an investment implies yeah, that we sell it. Correct. Uh, we are trying to build brands for the long term. Right. So we have a 10 year horizon, right, in terms right. of building brands. Right. So we're, built, we're fundamentally betting on a brand and a category to yeah. grow for 10 years, right? So. To that extent, a two-year cycle is less relevant. Second is, uh, you know, by definition, we don't buy EBITDA negative businesses. Right. So we don't have loss. You 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 hedged so, it out there. Yeah. So I mean, we don't we don't talk to EBITDA negative businesses. Right. We only chat with EBITDA, which right. may reduce the overall volume of who we talk to. Right. But I've spoken to seven hundred plus founders. Correct. In the last year. Right. Right. So uh, I think there's enough businesses that are bootstrapped. I think you know the one percent that gets VC funded is the one that gets old visibility. There's a big Indian sort of contingent that's continuing to build great entrepreneurial businesses right. in all parts of India. Yeah. If there was something very contextual to, you know, you, you say you've spoken to 700 founders, uh, very few of them would be selling to the affluent India that you and I live in. Right. Right. Or buy from. Yep. Uh, what's the, what's, what, what is the mass sentiment that's brewing? I think there are a few patterns. So the, 
So I've spoken exactly to 752 to be exact. Very interesting. Um, you know, uh, one sort of thing that sort of gets it that's quite striking is just ambition levels, mm. right? I think um, if you went to what was traditionally a small and medium enterprise, and you spoke to them, people would say, "Look, I want to take home some amount of money every year, right? Right? Roughly, right? I mean, you know, and that money needs to go up over time." If you speak to many of the founders today, right. I think the ambition level on what they can accomplish over two, three, four years, I think the optimism and the ambition levels are much right. higher. Right. Um, one of the reasons brands choose to partner with Mensa is because they believe fundamentally that you can make your, that brand a household name, right? So you can see that optimism and ambition. I think that's one thing that I think is interesting. Second is, by the way, I think for every founder who's non-venture capital funded, there is a, there's a set of 10, 15 founders who bootstrap, who get lines of credit from banks, right. who basically manage the business like a real business and are yeah. still getting 40-50% growth. And that's truly inspiring, right? I mean, there's a large part of India. I'll give you an example. I mean, you know, these are men's examples, but but so be it, right? I mean, we have a Pratik from Indore. We have a Mobashir from Calcutta. We have a Pallavi from Pune. All of who are have built businesses with no external capital. Some and they're not in the media, lines. they're not in the limelight. Nothing, right? I mean, and, and they build great businesses. A raw mill from Mumbai, right? I mean, superb businesses. Yeah. And I think that, by the way, really surprised me because, you know, if you live in Bangalore, right? I think apart from sort of consumption of mass premium <laughs> stuff, I think yeah. you, you sort of... Yeah, there's a gap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you believe your own, uh, you smoke a lot of your own exhaust, right? Yeah. I mean, it just feels a little bit like, you yeah. know... Everything is venture capital funded. Startup world is the no, real no, world, and there is a whole world I outside, agree. right? I think Bangalore is a is an independent economy. Yes, uh, it, yes. it's it's a bubble of sorts, not in a bad way, but I mean you could. No, no I think it's great. It's a great one. Yeah. Things compound here. All as bubbles as are great as long as you're in yeah. the bubble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, that's true. So, uh, w why is India set to outpace US in? Consumer tech. It's uh, very simple, by the way. I think you have railings that are incredible. You let's take the fundamental building blocks, right? First is you have payment mechanisms that have actually streamlined what UPI and Aadhaar have done right. is actually freed up and created a bunch of people, right? Correct. Who can actually transact online. Right. I think that's one big fundamental thing which the US doesn't have, right? I think the second fundamental thing that we have built is we are a mobile-first economy because we had no landlines. You've gone directly to 600 million mobile phones, right? You've lots of smartphones. You have the ability to transact, I think. And what Geo has done with data, we have the lowest cost of data. So that combination is you have railings that have been built, right? So first is your payment mechanisms. Second is your mobile phones and data, right? These are the two fundamental reasons why we love pace. That's number one. Right. Number two, which is the sort of forward-looking promise of India that's never happens. It's not happened yet, but I'm very confident it will happen is GDP per capita needs to go up because yeah. at some level, um, you know, the, the McKinsey analysis from many, many moons ago, yeah. right? If you look at Brazil, Malaysia, all of these, you know, from 4000 to $5,000 of GDP per capita is right. when consumption really sort of shoots through the roof. And right. I think that should happen if we get to a 5 trillion economy, right? Which hopefully we will get to. So I think consumption and brands will also grow. So I think, therefore, if you were to be in consumer tech, I would say the next 10 years, India is the best place to be. I mean, it's exactly this uh, this sort of sentiment that I'm a little more bullish on. And I feel that the winter funding winter and the, and the you know, the, yep. the, the lack of investments are only a correction because at the end of it, at the base level, the expendable income continues to rise. Right. 
right? It becomes more cautious, yep. uh, but it continues to rise because there are those many opportunities. There are subsectors. Uh, you are now going beyond your needs into demands. Sure. Right. We're sort of entering sure. that phase, and 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 it's even the tier three tier four economies that are realizing that, and there are aspirational brands that are targeting them. So uh, you're right. I don't think consumer tech is going to stop or decelerate at any point. I don't think so either. I don't think so either. And I think especially if you take a five ten year view to life, um, I think there'll be fundamentally large businesses that get built in India. Right. I think by the way what. perhaps the slowdown in the us translating into some slowdown in india will lead to is fundamentally better business models and Correct. fundamentally better businesses getting built but i don't right. think it's going to slow down right yeah i mean at, at the max you're seeing funds like sequoia restructure their investment thesis right right at the end of it the investments are still happening and i also feel that the gap or the difference between uh, just to add to the point between why will india outpace us is there are so many micro sectors there are so many uh, sub businesses that are catering to a particular type of audiences and hence you have channel partners that have come from them right deliveries payment gateways so uh, subsidies right. grants uh, i feel that is so much more diverse and this which is what will bring out the best of what's happening within the economy absolutely uh, it will it will sort of take over us from an innovation and opportunity standpoint Yeah, I I don't know whether you'll take over, but I think you'll create a different center yeah. of innovation. It'll outshine. I think, look, I mean, don't know, right? I mean, people have been saying somebody will outshine the US for the last forty years, and yeah. I think you know fundamentally, I think innovations. I'll tell you one interesting thing. My sense is fundamental research and universities that do research. I think we're right. still lacking. I think it's still very applied, right? Um, you know, the reason the US had the head start. is basically because by the way originally darpa and defense basically created the internet right yeah and i think fundamental and 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 you have universities like stanford uiuc that actually create fabulous research in machine learning i think interestingly the other big economy that's doing this is china which is also invested i mean singhua university is just spectacular i mean i lived in china for a few years right. you know you could like any graduate there could compete with anybody at anywhere else i think the iits are starting to do it but i think investing in more fundamental research and making sure that you have fabulous grad schools that produce yeah. research is is going to be one important thing if you really want to leapfrog yeah. i think otherwise you'll create businesses but not something fundamentally yeah. breakthrough no you are 100% right i feel the the foundation of education is still far behind it's the pace at which india has that's gone. right that's right, right. Uh, it needs to definitely catch up uh, i want to i want to get so uh, we've spoken investments we've spoken founding companies you spoken role i want to just get into one aspect of how do you pick an investor right because it's right. both ways and i and i think yeah. it's as important and to, to be cautious as a founder as to who are you going to for money i think so i think so and i think by the way look um um i think an investor is going to be with you for a long time yeah right i think that's yeah. the first realization i think um that's number one number yeah. two realization is investors bring more than money They, they should they should great investors bring networks yeah. great investors bring advice right. great bring investors bring pattern recognition right, right. um third is your personal chemistry and trust with the person not the firm matters true right so i, I mean we are very fortunate i mean we have falcon where we have nav we have subrata from axel and we have nirain from norwest right yeah. all of who are known right and and You have some degree of trust with Subrata. I've sort of worked with for a long time from Flipkart, and and therefore I think you have to be thoughtful about putting together 
your cap table because remember that it's going to be forever or not forever but it's going to be there for a long long time as you're building so i would say one look for these three characteristics what else do they bring actually do some research talk to other founders you know understand what each firm brings because they're quite different from each other right and see whether the whether if you're getting one investor two investors three investors they complementary to each other correct right the other thing that you have to ask yourself is i've sort of been in this business now for whatever 8 years right, right. and there is always a downside there is always i mean not the environment your business goes through tough times independent of what you do right for every 8 quarters of great growth you'll have two quarters that are terrible it happens right i mean not because of intent but because that's how life is so you want to actually pick people who will support you through the down cycle true right so how will they support you it's it's people who are sort of saying look i mean we have been through cycles before right yes it's a tough time yes we need to correct but we're with you and let's work constructively so people who actually support you through cycles is important and therefore the person that you get on your board right you have to do the research to make sure that that person is the person who's going to support you through the cycle right and i think that's important right um the last is the startup ecosystem does very few independent directors and i think that's right. a miss uh, i've been on a publicly listed hmm. board for a yeah, bit yeah that's true right that's um, true. and i think um, there's value in having independent directors yeah and i think getting independent directors early on in the cycle maybe yeah. a year in is important yeah because what that brings is different perspectives from an investor who, who obviously by the way has great perspectives but has some vested interest by definition right correct uh, and have an independent director and i think that starts to create something interesting but how different would that be from just uh, and uh, like having a board of uh, you know so i think having a board of directors is great right but if the board of directors is only your investors i think it'll be fantastic but it brings only a certain set of perspectives if you basically go to any publicly traded company by regulation you need independent directors yeah. you need women on the board i think you know there needs to be a lot more of that in private companies True. and earlier on in the cycle because and then those are constructs of long term businesses that's right. that's yeah right. interesting interesting so, would you consider when you started mensa would you consider it to be um, a zero to one start very it was absolutely. it was right uh, and and i know you rely and and you propagate very heavy on culture yep what are early signals that should be sent out uh, on culture when you're when you're building a founding team i think the f- the first is you have to have an articulation of what culture is right i mean it's otherwise it becomes very nebulous right? right um for me by the way an easy translation of culture not the only one but an easy translation is values right, right? and values are things that you do when nobody's watching right right yeah. um as theoretical as it is but it's but, it works but you know, i'll give you no i'll give you a practical example right i mean we have one value called frugality mm-hmm. right um so one of the founding team members pavan uh, and i actually flew to the us to meet some investor to see a brand etc and we flew in coach yeah right and it was i forget the number but it was a few thousand dollars to upgrade yeah and the conversation we were having is basically saying look we could use that money in marketing yeah I think that's a value. I've seen that picture actually. <laughs> so yeah. I re- yeah. related to that. Yeah. I think that's a value, yeah. right? In my mind. And so, you know, being clear about values yeah. is very important. I think and articulating them is important. The second thing I would say is the first I would say 20 people in the company right need to embody these values. Right? And you have to sort of take the time to get to know them. And by the way, you'll make mistakes. The other question, the other thing that's important, which is hard and nobody talks about it, is what if you hire somebody you think they have the values and they don't have the values what do you do 
if you don't do anything that means the values are not important to you the business is more important right so actually by the way taking the tough call at the expense of the business and making sure that you make a hard people decision sends a very strong signal perhaps the strongest signal culture over skill set culture over performance over performance right and i'm saying if you have by the way a complete ass who basically is like destroying the office yeah. culture but is able to still deliver on numbers yeah. and you don't take any action yeah that is the strongest signal i'm sensing you've been there right yeah of course yeah. i mean I'm, not just yeah. in mensa right for sure yeah. in in, Med, yeah. in mintra and medlife yeah. in mckinsey right yeah. i mean and i think we don't do that that's important yeah right um likewise by the way calling out examples of great culture is also important you don't do it often enough because it's so in hidden right you take it, it for granted you take it for granted True. and so articulating why it's important and here is an example of it and telling stories around it is important because then it right. becomes real right when you're also hiring right yeah. you're hiring and you're not hiring for the first time now uh, what is the what is the weightage you give to experience because Uh, because a lot of times that could turn out to be a bit of a baggage sure and uh, and i again use this with caution because you are creating a new subsector sure right? uh, the concept of mensa in india the kind of businesses that yeah, you yeah. are did not exist right. so how do you peg that experience and and weigh out the baggage from it i think a uh, great question i don't think i have a easy answer to it but right. i look at sort of three things when i evaluate a candidate I look for intrinsics. Intrinsics are you know smartness, ability to learn, right? Right? So can you learn a new skill, etc, etc, right? So I think I look for that intrinsics, right? The second is I look for attitude, which is you know will they fit in with the rest will are they hungry to learn are they humble yeah. whatever you know you want to look That's for true. Look whatever for your values are whatever yeah, you set yeah. yeah attitude slash values yeah. right? and the third is i look for competence in a particular specialized field hmm you can't have a controller does that come with pattern that comes with pattern right so because you know for example you know you can't lead engineering without having done engineering before it doesn't yeah. matter how smart you are or yeah. by the way the same thing is true for a for a finance professional true. right true um whereas by the way if you take category or you take marketing right i think it's possible to have a high intrinsics high attitude person learn it right right so you sort of try and get the mix right um for me i think all three are important by the way in my mind there are multiplier so if any of them is a zero i don't I, we don't hire the person yeah right i mean if if you have great expertise but your attitude is a zero or one I, we don't hire them yeah right so i think it's a multiplication between these three factors right. intrinsic attitude and specific competence and expertise right culture is something that uh, a lot of founders or entrepreneurs end up placing slightly towards the tail end yeah because uh, it's not something that's uh, that's going to get you through your next round possibly right I but it's a mistake it's a mistake it's a mistake yeah. uh, the, the tailwinds are very heavy with culture right right and, and it has the ability yeah. to sway you across so uh, does culture matter in in terms of the businesses you're acquiring as well uh yes we spend a lot of time i think the business we acquired typically by the way have very small teams yeah. so uh, usually the founder or the founding couple spend a lot of their time so we spend a lot of time on, with the founder to make sure that there is a match in values and a match in vision i think yeah, those are quite important very distinct understandings and yeah. backgrounds and no, experiences no, absolutely but i'll tell you if you have a common shared vision saying i want to build this brand into a thousand crore brand and yeah. you have a set of values which says i won't burn money yeah i'll be frugal uh i want to think big right 
you know. I mean, if you spend three hours with a person, right, you typically have a sense on whether the vision and the values match. And True. I think, by the way, that's a huge and important criteria for how we pick partner brands that work with us. Customer love, founder quality, and complementarity are the three right. things that we look for. Right, right. Interesting. Um, I've been actually sort of uh, very curious to ask you, uh, does success ever get to you individually? Um, you know, it's easy to say no. <laughs> yeah. um, I think there are parts of success that you enjoy. Yeah. Um, I think... Uh, and how do you stay humble with them? First is have kids. You know, it's very easy. Um, you know, my three kids, by the way, don't take me seriously and make fun of me all the time. Right. I think, uh, you know, uh, I only have to sort of say, you know, this is what we did at work and then they yeah. start making fun of me and that yeah. sort of grounds you, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that's one. Second is have a circle of friends who are not associated with the startup ecosystem. Right, true. 100% really helps with you. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and I think for me, that's been really helpful because it keeps you grounded, right? So right. one is family and, you know, particularly kids, but the spouse, Sandhya makes fun of me as well. So I think, you know, uh, you know, so you can't take yourself too seriously after you go through that. Right. Second is have, have friends who are not from the ecosystem. Right. Do you compartmentalize I, your personal and professional life? No, I have no compartment. I think it's sort of... It's For fluid. Me, it's very fluid. Right. It's very hard to compartmentalize, right? I'm, and I'm, they understand that. And then, I mean, my kids know every person in Mensa, I think, right? Because Mensa was born when we were in COVID and I was doing it all on phone calls, walking up and yeah. down my house. And so I think they know every, uh, I think they're completely involved. So I think it's very hard to compartmentalize, right? So I would say these two help. I think the third, which is a little bit more humbling, is, um, you know, there are cycles. Right, I think Mintra was a cycle. Medlife, by the way, went through tough times and, and, and landed well, but went through tough times. I think once you do that, yeah. you're quite humble because you know that the cycle can turn. Right, yeah. I think you know you're very successful now. Yeah. You're only as successful as your last two quarters. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I don't think you should let it get to you at all. Yeah. Is that is that a constant reminder you give to yourself? I do, I do, um, and I think it's important because of two things. One, it's very easy for organizations to become complacent, and it starts from the founder. I think yeah. if you believe you're successful, right, yeah. you start becoming complacent. You don't yeah. do things excellently. You don't push that extra bit that is needed. Right. You don't come and work on a Saturday. Right. You should be, right, to push stuff. And, 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 and I think this slowly, I think complacency sets in. Right. So I try very hard not to get complacent. Right. And I try very hard to make sure that Mensa doesn't get complacent. Right. How far do you think you can see at a stretch doing the same thing over and over again? Because now you're a founder, this is your baby and sure. right, the previous things have been slightly different in nature. Sure. Right? Do you do you do you feel that this is something that you can keep doing day in and day out? hundred percent. I think for for a long, long time. Um so um you know, I've used this analogy before, but I'll use it again because I like it. Right. Is you have to have a telescope in one eye and a microscope in the other. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think that's important. I think you have to be able to see a little bit further um, and therefore make some calls. Right. Some of it should be right, some of it will be wrong. And I think you need a microscope because day-to-day -day execution matters. Right. And you need to do both. Right. Um, for me, what keeps me going, at least at Mensa, and I think just more broadly, is first, I think we're onto something interesting in terms of building. I mean, this vision of saying, you know, we walk into this room and five things in this room are products of Mensa. I think right. actually gets me quite excited. Right. Right. Um, right. The second, I think, is working with great people. Right. right. And I think it's, um, you know, uh, it's a privilege right, right. to work with the kind of people in Mensa that we work, I work with. Right. I get right. to work with. Right. Uh, 
and I think the third is look. I mean, you have to manage your energy, right? I think yeah. there are things that you like in a day and things that you don't like in a day, and right. hopefully, there's some of the parts you like more than you don't like. Right? Yeah. Are there things that you don't like in a day? Many things. Yeah. Many things. I'm. Uh, I mean, so the but way you just I, have to go through them. Yeah, I mean, some part of it is the job, right? So the way I think about it is, you manage energy, not time. Right. And so what you do is, I try and I'm a morning person. So I try and get all my problem-solving sessions and high-energy things done in the morning. Right. And things that I don't like, I sort of put in the afternoon, and so things that I, you know, and so I balance out the energy, right? So, but right. you have to get stuff done, right? right. Um, and I don't think there's ever a role anywhere, whether you're an engineer, right, or a CEO or a founder, right, where you only get to do things that you like, right. At least I haven't gotten there yet. Maybe one day, but right. not yet. Yeah. So no, for sure. Uh, uh, tail-ending part of this conversation, just trying to get a little deeper into a few things that inspire you. Uh, are you are you more of a voracious reader, or do you listen to more podcasts? Reader. Yeah. I and read a lot of books. What's what sort of reading are you into? Uh, I read many different things. Um, lots of books on business, a little bit on fiction. Um, so you know, thinking fast, thinking slow. Daniel Kahn, all works of Daniel Kahn, I, I yeah. love. So I, I read. Um, I'm just reading the PayPal Mafia book that was written, which I thought was quite interesting. Right. Right. Um, in the halfway through yeah. it, so I read everything. I mean, I read like, and I read on flights. Um, I read everywhere. So you know, I try and get through a fair number of books. Right. I'm slowly but steadily now getting into podcasts. It wasn't the case before. Um, I like the all-in podcast which we were talking about earlier. Yeah. I've started to do now more podcasts, but I have to get the system right for me to. I feel it's easier, right? Like, I mean, you're on the go. Uh, you can, uh, in some ways. So personally, for me, I could do two things while listening to a podcast and yet be very, very attentive. Right. Because either you're listening to it at two x speed, or you could you could no, no, I agree. moderate I agree. a bunch of things. Uh, I think it's more change management than mm. anything else. I've always been a reader. And I think I've started to do more podcasts now. Right. Um, uh, but I think uh, you're right. I think podcasts are easier to easier to do. The for thing sure. about podcasts that I personally like is that the the individual tone that sort of comes in, and 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 that's so much more weighing in on your perspective. Yes, I think there are two different speeds at which you operate. It's a little yeah. bit going back to the system one, system two of kind of yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. when you read, I think you can go deeper. Yeah. I think in podcast, both system one, system two are aligned. Yeah, yeah both system one, system two. Yeah, are here your system two is wavering around. That's right. True, I agree. Uh, yeah, I use that context a lot actually. Yeah. System one, and system two, but interesting. And uh, uh, you, is there is there a, some is there a sort of business that you draw inspiration from from the West? And we've spoken about McKinsey, so we'll leave that. Yeah, no, I mean, there are many. Yeah. Right? Um, Any new edge businesses? Uh, I'm just trying to think about what would be a. a I mean, is there an example, example that you quote quite often or a founder that you quote quite no, often? No, so for example, I think if you look at cultural transformation, what Satya Nadella has done with Microsoft is right. quite exciting. Right. Um, I think it's a business that's gone through four different cycles and has reinvented right. itself every time. Right. I think that's quite interesting and exciting. Right. Um, closer to home, I think what uh, Nandan has done is right. very inspiring for me right. because. I think you sort of built a fabulous business that yeah. generates and continues to grow, yeah. and you've done Aadhaar, right? And now you're doing ONDC. So it's interesting, right? You're able to sort of build. I'm a big believer in compounding of experiences, True. and I think that's that's a great example of compounding experiences that's impact at scale. Do you have mentors in life? Of course, I think I have mentors from McKinsey that I'm still active with. Uh, I have mentors in the Bangalore ecosystem. I have mentors, by the way from Mintra who used to work for me that I learn a lot from. So, you know, there are people who used to work for me who are dramatically, I, I think, with it and, and sort yeah. of, I follow it. I mean, I think, you know, we don't know who's mentoring who, but I right. get a lot out of it. 
वेरी इंटरेस्टिंग uh,